Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Joe Lala. And our guest this week is Sean Inman. Those of you who are in the Facebook group, you will know who he is because he comments quite regularly there. Um, <laughs> that's okay, by the way, Sean. We, we don't mind that. <laughs> Can't shut that guy up, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean published his first book in 2012. At the time, he thought that would be the last book he ever wrote, but then it began to sell and the concept of getting more stories out of his mind and into other people's heads became intoxicating. He quit a very good job in 2016 to become a full-time author. He earned $268 his first month, which is more than I earned my first month. <laughs> Thankfully, things have looked up from there. He currently has 29 books published, including a 14-book time travel series and a five-book portal fiction action-adventure series. Although he didn't do ads until November of last year, he still managed to hit six figures in 2020. Using Facebook ads in 2021, he will cross the six-figure threshold in June. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Yeah, it's great having you. Um, so what happened was a couple of weeks ago, somebody asked a question and Sean's like, this is what I do. And I was like, wait a second, what? <laughs> so we're going to get into that because I've been you know, dying to get him on the show since then. And Joe says that's more than he earned his first year. <laughs> it's hard when we start out. And that was even several years ago. Um, but yeah, so let's go ahead and get right into the interview, if that's okay with you. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay, good. Okay, so what is your story when it comes to writing and how you became an indie author? Well, it took me, I started my first book in uh, December of 2006, and I published it in September of 2012. So it took me six years <laughs> to publish that first book, which I think is not a terribly unusual thing, because I probably rewrote that first book 40 or 50 times. And each time it did not get any better because I wasn't learning anything by finishing books and moving on to others. So I finally just shoved it out of the nest and uh, went on to the next. And, uh, and I've gotten quicker since then. I'll publish eight books this year, which is, for me, that's a comfortable pace. I know I could do more. I could do a book a month, but um, I'm old. And I don't want to work that hard. So, <laughs> so eight books a year, that's a nice, comfortable pace for me. Uh, it looks like your time travel series is sort of your biggest uh, body of work, but is that what you started out with? No, I started out, I, I it, it's, it's one of those stories. I, I started by writing a memoir, which I think, again, is pretty conventional. If, if you don't know how to plot a story, you take your own life and turn that. And luckily, I was, I, I kind of lived through a, a, a good plot, really, in that my first girlfriend and I were forcibly separated by her parents when I went away to college and told us we could not see each other anymore. And being the seventies, we listened to them and I didn't see her again for 27 years. And when I ran into her, I recognized her instantly. And I, I could hardly wait to say, Oh, it's Don, it's me, it's Sean. And she looked at me and said, Oh, Sean, who? And I knew that maybe I had remembered her a little more fondly than she had remembered me for those 27 years then. So I wrote, I, I basically wrote a, a, a romance book that was actually a memoir. Uh, and that's the one that I put out first and it just started to sell, which is when I thought, oh, I guess maybe I can, I can do this after all. So I didn't write my first time travel story until 2016, although that's always been my favorite genre. Uh, and I actually read Stephen King's 112263 when it came out. And that, of course, is a book about the Kennedy assassination. And that's why I picked up the book. But then about halfway, because it's typical, it's a doorstopper, it must be 270,000 words or something. And about 40,000 words, I realized I don't care about the Kennedy assassination anymore, but this small town time travel thing is really getting to me. And then I thought, I'm going to write a series of books set in a small town in Oregon, and they're going to be time travelers in it. And there's, there's what you might think of as muggles, and then there's time travelers that are in it. Um, and I've been trying to kill that series uh, since book three. I announced that book three would be the final book in the series. And then I announced that book six would be the final book in the series. And then I announced that book 12 would be the final book in the series. And now book 14 comes out in three weeks. So I'm no longer making those bold proclamations. I, I just realized it's just got a life of its own now. It's going to keep going. So. 
I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask how you managed to sell $268 worth of a memoir. I know it says a love story on the actual title, so maybe you're getting the, the romance readers, but that's pretty impressive. Well, it was in 2012, and so I, I published it, sold 83 copies the first month, and as far as I knew, that was it. That was all my friends and family. I was out of people, but I decided to do a free run, and I made it free for five days, hoping to maybe get, maybe I was hoping 2,000 downloads. That would have exceeded my wildest dreams, and when I woke up, I, at 6 a.m. on the day of the free run, I ran to my computer and pulled it up and saw that I'd already given away 3,000 copies before 6 a.m. on that first day. And, of course, back then, you could just tell people about your promos and people would run them for you for free, like free Kindle books and tips and people like that. Uh, and I ended up uh, giving away 27,000 copies of that book. And of course, that was 2012. So when you popped out, you got that great visibility on the pop chart and the book just started selling and uh, it sold hundreds and hundreds of copies almost instantly as soon as it popped off of free. Oh, if that still worked, wouldn't we all be happy? <laughs> but oh, that's awesome. That's how you sell a, a book, in, a memoir in 2012, I guess, was to, to take advantage of the system as it lay there, which is what I did. Um, I don't know what I, I think I probably, if, if it hadn't been for that boost I got from that first free promo, I, I may never have written another book and I would still be selling real estate instead of living the good life of the 20 foot commute from my bedroom to my office every day. I don't know. It doesn't seem like a bad time to sell real estate, but uh, competitive well, uh, time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so your time travel series that you've kind of done 14 of, it sounds like now, do you think that's sort of what's really kind of gotten the ball rolling or kept the ball rolling and helped you break out? It's it's what helped me um, become a full-time author, I would say, um, in, in that it started to sell relatively well. It was never a huge seller though. As a matter of fact, the best six month period of that series, which I'd like to talk about eventually, started after I stopped publishing regularly. And the last six months I'd made more from that series than I ever did when I was publishing in it every two months. Um, but what turned me from just kind of a mid list indie author into a six-figure author was a series I released last year, which was just a, a portal fiction action adventure series that took off completely organically and surprisingly um, and stayed somewhere around 2,500 to 3,000 in the store for six months all by itself. No ads, no support, no price reductions. It was at $3.99 the whole time. And I'm going to tell you a year later, I still have no idea how or why that took off, um, except it just did. I don't know if I got lucky and got on to somebody else's also bots with it. But what I did do to take advantage of it was uh, that I, uh, I started publishing books in that series uh, pretty regularly. Uh, and so I pub ended up publishing four of those books by the end of the year. Um, and, uh, and now I've got five and uh, so what's kind of worked for me oddly is now that I've got multiple series going is that I'm switching from series to series to series. Cause I feel like with 14 books and five books, I've already got enough of a, uh, a base as far as the books there for people to read through. And now I'm just, I'm trying to launch a new series and then I go back and I write one of each of the other two series. And then I'll go and try and write a new series. Like I just published, my attempt at a new series here about a month ago and it bombed horribly. So that will not be one of my, <laughs> one of my ongoing series because nobody, nobody wanted to read that book for me, which I was totally, I was so excited about that book. You ever have that? Like, Oh, this is going to be so great. And then you put it out and it's just like radio silence. So I can never predict. Honestly, it's the ones that I think, oh, I'm like really close to what the market wants on this one. Those do the worst. So <laughs> even now I can't predict. And the one that took off, it was absolutely not written to market. It was my tribute to Edgar Rice Burroughs and Jules Verne and the Pellucidar series and Journey to the Center of the Earth. It was, what if a guy steps through a door and blasts into the future and that future looks like our past 10,000 years ago because the world has melted down so far that we were essentially returned to caveman times, which is just an idea I wanted to write because I loved Edgar Rice Burroughs and, and Jules Verne so much. 
And I certainly didn't think it was. And then it's the book that took me to, to making six figures last year. So totally unpredictable. All right. Now that's sort of what my first question was going to be like in your, in your intro, we're going to be talking about ads in a second, but in your intro, we talk about how you got to six figures without, uh, without advertising and then you started advertising afterward. So, you know, so now we've heard that you had a book unexpectedly take off and then you capitalized on that success. What were you doing for promotion before you started doing ads? Were you doing any promotion at all? No, I was publishing a book every two months. And honestly, that was it. No AMS ads, no Facebook ads. Uh, I don't do newsletter swaps. Uh, I think I'm like the last holdout maybe from doing newsletter swaps. Because to me, my mailing list, which isn't huge, but it's completely organically grown. It's maybe 3,700 people or so. And I know people can do promos and get a 5,000 person mailing list in about two months. And it's taken me seven years to build my uh, 3,700 people. But that list is so valuable to me that I, I feel like I'm kind of renting them out a little bit when I do swaps with people. So I do recommend books, but only I, I never do it in a reciprocal way. And I only do it if I've read a book and think, oh, my, my readers are really going to dig this book. So I'm, I do send out to it. And by the way, it's weird, but sometimes just giving a, a really nice write-up of a book, it does have a positive effect because if enough of my readers go out and buy that book, I show up on there also bots all of a sudden. And so in, you know, in a roundabout way, I end up kind of sharing my readers with them and they with me, which is, is nice, but that's not my intention. So, um, I, I, I used to do AMS ads until 2017. And, uh, in 2017, they stopped working for me. I was making about a 300% ROI in 2016 and 2017. And that went to a negative number in, 2018 and 2019. So I just stopped all ads. Uh, plus, as a mid-list author, my my wife doesn't work. So I was the only support for our family. And when you're only a mid-list author, there's not a lot of money left over at the end of the month to go throw it at. So I tried to just run as fast as I can for a while and, and take publishing every two months. And that that's because once I found a series, but here's the problem with a series, right? the 12th book in a series is unlikely to ever take off more than that first book did. It's kind of that law of diminishing returns. And that's what caused me to stop writing in that series for a while and launch that new portal uh, adventure series because I thought I need a chance at a breakout. And then I got lucky and did. Because if I'd done it backwards and I'd released the one that I just released last year, I would never, I wouldn't have made it. So one thing that um, we focus a lot on is how to get books that aren't selling to sell. But my question is, what about authors who are selling already and who, oops, muted myself, <laughs> authors who are selling decently, but want to do better? What sorts of tips do you have for them? Let's see if you say, I mean, that's, that really does describe me. So I, I guess to me, it's to continue to take some chances and put more that you need more hooks in the water. When I had a 12 book series, I basically had one hook in the water. Um, and it wasn't until I started putting more hooks in that I, I actually taught a few fish. Um, so a little bit of diversification can be a, a good thing. Um, I am really active on my social media. Um, include, I know everybody says, oh, there's no organic discovery on Facebook, but I have worked my hymie off trying to get my Facebook writer page to be active. Uh, and it is. I, I have maybe 3,500 people that follow me on there. And if I put a post up, it'll, Facebook will show it to a thousand to twelve hundred to fifteen hundred of those people. And it gets good reactions and lots of comments and things like that. But that didn't happen overnight. I, I literally posted every day for several years in like, I felt like I was shouting down a well because I never got any response, but I just kept after it. And eventually the Facebook algorithm started pushing my page a little bit so that now that page is pretty valuable real estate to me. It gets a lot of, a lot of interaction with people, but I still have to be on it pretty regularly, uh, to get that going. Um, 
I still do, uh, not often, but a few times a year, I do free runs still. You don't get that beautiful boost onto the pop list that you used to get. But like I, I did a free run a year ago on uh, my first box set of that time travel book, and it had not done well at all. That first box set was only earning maybe three to $400 a month for me. But I did a free run last June and gave away about 7,000 copies of it. And that whole box set, the, I've got four box sets now, they've been earning between $1,500 and $2,000 a month ever since then. And that tail's never gone away. So I spent about $400 on that promo to for just a simple free run, you know, the usual suspects. So e-reader news today and Robin reads and book barbarian and all the ones that we always think of. And it has had an incredibly long tail, uh, 13 months into it now. And it's still percolating along it's like instead of just getting a tail somehow it pushed it up in the visibility um and audiobooks have really really helped me i noticed that my career became sustainable when i started putting out more audiobooks and now everything i've got is out in audiobook um and I, I'm with Podium now, which does make it easier, doesn't it, Lindsay? <laughs> I basically send them the manuscript, and then they go, any hard-to-pronounce words? And I go, nope, and that's the end of it. So <laughs> that's so much easier than it used to be. So, uh, well, if but, you're not giving them hard-to-pronounce words, you're not doing it right. I mean, you got to challenge those narrators, but they love that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, in, in this time, this, this portal fiction, I made a, a really critical error in that I decided to add a suffix to the end of many words. So people, males had a, an AK at the end and females had an EH and, uh, places had an AH. And, and so my poor narrator on that has had to read those suffixes now for five books. And I, I really do feel sorry for him. Jonathan, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> I wish I could go back and change that. But once the first audiobooks go out, you're kind of locked into it from there. So, so when it is, are you mostly doing Amazon ads now, or do you also do Facebook? No, ads? I'm mostly doing Facebook. Um, I am spending maybe a couple hundred dollars a month on Amazon ads, and I'm somewhere between twenty five hundred a month and three thousand a month on Facebook ads as a general rule. Um, and I feel like I've been getting a, a good return. Before I started the ads, I felt like I was kind of bumping my head against the ceiling a little bit in that I could get an $8,000 month, a $9,000 month, whatever. But when I started spending maybe, and it was only like $700 at first, my income jumped right away to $13,000 a month or $14,000. And, um, and if I stop the ads, I go back to that eight or nine thousand so it's like that's my organic level of discovery right now which is great i'm thrilled to death to have that level of organic discovery but it's a lot easier uh to just put some money into facebook and and as long as i get a two-for-one return on it that's what i'm hopeful about so well, that's, that's really good are you doing like book one in the time travel series primarily yeah, I'm doing book one in the time travel series and book one in the portal adventure series. Um, and then just hopefully relying on read through from there. Do you keep them at full price? Do you find that you're able to get them to convert pretty well? Yeah, I, I only do full price all the way through. So all my books are, are priced the same. Um, and my thinking with it is if I get a reader hooked in on either a perma-free or, which I know is your strategy, uh, or a, a 99 cent book, it might be a little tougher to get them to make the jump to a 399 book or a 499 book that, that there's not very much of a barrier for entry at free or 99 cents. But now book two being 399, 499, 599 might serve as a barrier of entry. So I just keep all my books in a series of the same price all the time. Um, but isn't it kind of that there's like a life cycle of a series too? So like the series I started last year, 
it hasn't needed any help so far other than the Facebook ads. But soon enough here, I'm going to need to start running some 99 cent promos on that first book. And I'm going to need to create some box sets for that. And it's like, to me, that's just the process. You're, you're new and you're hot and you're wonderful and everybody loves your book. And then slowly over months, everybody forgets about your book and you have to kind of take the next steps, which is price reductions and free promos maybe and, uh, and doing box sets. And I have a friend who's done uh, amazingly well with the 99 cent box sets. Um, and that's Bobby Adair, who's a, a, a post, great post-apoc writer. Um, and he has five, six, and nine book uh, box sets that he puts together at 99 cents that he has just, for two years now, he's just killed it with page reads. So... Uh, and I haven't done that with my first time travel series because I just don't think my series has enough wide appeal to get the kind of uh, page reads that he gets. He's right in the heart of post-apocalypse and zombies, and uh, he's got a space opera series and, you know, very much written to market and right where he needs to be. And so he can put out a uh, maybe a 30 to $50 a day ad on that and get, he was getting for a while, 125,000 page reads a day on each of his box sets, which that gets you to a good place in a, in a hurry. So, uh, but I haven't tackled that yet. That's my plan for this five book series later in the year. Cause I guess I'm thinking it's got more wide appeal than my 14 book series does. So. Yeah, that's great that you're getting uh, full price books to do well with Facebook ads. I, you know, I find that on Amazon, it, your stuff's all in Kindle Unlimited. We should mention yes. people. And sometimes you can kind of get away with higher prices because half the people are just going to borrow it anyway. And the higher price might even be more appealing, but you can't really target people on Facebook. You can't know if they're right. in Kindle Unlimited. You can kind of target right. the Kindle. So um, that's great. Do you have any tips? I know Andrea and Joe are eager to jump into some editing questions, but uh, do you have any tips for uh, authors out there who are kind of struggling with Facebook ads? Oh, let's see. Um, I guess it's, I mean, we all, everything that we do, it's just about experimentation, isn't it? Right. Just throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what, what, sticks, uh, which is kind of a, that idea is anathema to me overall, but with advertising, I don't know that you have any choice. And the problem, of course, with Facebook is that you can't just, you can't just say, oh, I got a $10 a day ad that's working gangbusters. Let me push that up to $150. If you do that, they'll be happy to spend your money, but you're not going to see anywhere near the routine uh, or the return. So I've been actually pushing my ads up very slowly, $5 a day increase. Uh, and then two or three days later, another $5. Because when I was pushing it from $25 to $75 a day, I just didn't see any return at all. So um, the, I, the best idea I know is create a bunch of ads, pick the ones that work and slowly level them up. Um, but even then they seem to have a cap point. I would love to be able to spend $500 a day on a Facebook ad and have it return a decent ROI, but I, I haven't been able to get there. So it's, instead, it's more like uh, more smaller ads that can get me there. I wish I could spend a lot of money and, and get a return, but I haven't been able to master that yet. So instead, it's uh, it's a little bit like AMS ads, I guess, and that you spread them out over a, a number of different ads. By the way, I don't think throwing a bunch of ads against the wall on AMS works so well anymore. That honestly was my strategy in 2016. I would just find a thousand keywords that were at all remotely right, throw them into an ad, and then sit back and, and I could pick the right keywords. But now I think it's relevancy is much more important. And it's better to have a, a, an AMS ad that has 50 or 100 really highly targeted uh, keywords that you and hopefully good selling books. Um, that's the only way I'm getting any traction at all on AMS these days. But of course, it'll probably change soon, too. Of course, everything changes. Yes. And Facebook, that's kind of the way I have to handle my Facebook ads. I do several, you know, start them off at $5 a day. And when I have one that's working, instead of increasing the spend on it drastically, I duplicate it or just little increments every few days. Because once they get up to like, I don't know, mine, 
I can't get them to spend or to do well after like 15 to $20 a day. So I've had to, I just duplicate. <laughs> yeah, that works too. Huh? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to switch over into, um, the whole, the whole thing we were chatting about on Facebook, and I'm going to have you explain what that was, what that is, because this is about you, not about me summing up your words. <laughs> um, but we've had Dean Wesley Smith on in the past. One thing he's very passionate about is not revising books. Um, would you explain what he means by that and how you applied it to your own writing? Well, and as I, I mentioned earlier, when I saw Dean at, uh, the 2018, um, 20 books conference in Vegas, I was sitting in the front row listening to him. And as he was talking, my jaw dropped open because he was describing my system, which I had come to organically. And, and, and he had a good name for it, which is writing into the dark. And I, I, I kept looking at the people beside me and going, isn't this what you do too? This is what you do, right? And no, nobody else was like, no, that's definitely not what I do. So the way that system works is, first of all, I make a commitment that once I start a book until I finish it, I'm going to write X number of words per day. And it's not a high number for me, but it's usually uh, at a bare minimum of 2000 words a day, which allows me to get a book written, you know, in about four to five weeks or so, and then gives me time to go through the, the rest of the process. But I, I write my, let's say 2,500 words for the day, and then I'm done. I go downstairs and rewatch Breaking Bad with my wife or whatever. And then, uh, and then the next morning when I sit down at the computer, the first thing I do is go back to the beginning of those words I wrote the day before. And I read through them kind of fixing just bad word choices, repetitive words and things like that till I get back to the point where I left off. And by then I'm fully engaged in the story again. Uh, my head is right back in that world and I remember everything I was going to do. Um, and so then I take off from there and I write my other, my 2000 words for the day. And when I get to the end of the book, then it's basically a second draft, but I just type the end and then I send it to my editor. And I know there are people out there that cringe at the thought of that. I mean, I literally, okay, that's the boom, last sentence, off to my editor it goes. Um, and I don't use a developmental editor. Um, I have am so fortunate. My best writer friend is Terry Schott, who writes science fiction. And he and I Zoom every day, and we trade alpha reads at every 10,000 words in our books. And so he kind of serves as my developmental editor, and I kind of serve with as is as we go through. So that's my developmental editing. I do one kind of semi rewrite as I'm going through it day by day, and then it's done. I send it off to my editor. I trust my editor to the point now, this again might make, this might send people into conniptions here. I trust my editor enough that when I get it back, I just hit accept all on her changes boom, whole document done in 10 seconds. And then I do do a read through to make sure. And she makes sure that anything she changes, it's more than just a word rearrangement or something. She puts a little uh, a little message off to the side. Oh, this is why I did this. And I was thinking this, but if you want to change it back. So then I just go through and skim through her little word balloons. And that's it. So the whole editing process is a snap. I mean, it's possible, and she's really quick. If I send her a book on a Monday, a, say a 100,000-word book, she'll have it back to me by like Thursday. Um, so it's possible that I can finish a draft on a Sunday night and I could upload on Thursday or Friday uh, if I wanted to. But of course, that skips the proofreading, which I don't like to do because, because I write pretty quickly. I do make a lot of mistakes, just stupid you know, but they are mistakes. Uh, and, uh, and so I've got a team of about six volunteer proofreaders. And I just, as soon as I get it back from the edit, I send it out to them. Uh, they usually get back to me in two to three days. So I was talking to a lady on a, on a zoom, uh, meeting the other day. And she said that, uh, I said, how long from the time you type the end until you send it to your editor? And she said, it's about four to five months for me to get, from the end of my book into the, and I thought that would just, that would kill me that I would feel like I was writing that book three times and I'm too lazy for that. I'm basically a lazy human being. Thus the accept all on my editor's choices, which by the way, she doesn't know I do that. So I'm sure she thinks I go over everyone, you know, making choices instead of what I actually do. Um, 
but the re- the reality is it doesn't no matter how much time at some point i'm just switching commas and i'm I'll, I'll switch a word and then i'll go through it and i'll switch it back to the way it was initially none of that is making my book any better what's gonna sell or not sell that book is whether it's a good story whether it grabs people and it's engaging to people if I use the same word three paragraphs apart, I don't think that's going to stop people from from buying the book. Um, and I do try to make them the very best I can, but I try to make them the very best I can by writing just a super engaging story. Um, and I just, I as you know, as you see, I don't spend a lot of time on that that post writing production. Um, and so far, it's working. I mean, my my average review on Amazon over you know like. 3,000 reviews is like 4.6 stars. So people aren't objecting. Although after this comes out, some people might go help me out with some one stars here and there. I might, I might see a couple from folks and this should have been edited better, Sean. You know, that's our, a- our listeners would never do that to you. Oh, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but your, I mean, my editor, I've been working with her since 2009 and I didn't even think about, I accept everything she does anyway. So I'm like, why don't I just do it all at the beginning? <laughs> yes. Um, and then I, I do read through because even editors make mistakes and, you know, yeah. when you're doing track changes and things. So I do read through it to make sure there's no unusual errors, but yeah. I'm just going to accept them all anyway. So, cause so, I think she's smarter than I am. So why not? Yeah. And experience and she, she knows your style too. So Yes. Um, okay. So explain how this, this process, how it has affected your success. Well, it's allowed me to publish a lot more regularly. Um, like I say, I'll be able to get eight books out this year. And if I wanted to, I could, uh, I could certainly get more out, but I'm an old guy. I enjoy, <laughs> I enjoy watching Breaking Bad again or <laughs> Better Call Saul or whatever we're on to tonight. Um, and I've got dogs and I've got grandkids that live here in the area and I like to go spend a lot of time. So this more concise, and by the way, this isn't the way I started. I, I started publishing in 2013. I published one book in 2014. I published one book. It wasn't until 2017 that I really got on the stick and kind of started to come up with this program. Uh, and here, I know this is going to sound so weird, but here's what's been the key for me. I stopped lying to myself. I used to lie to myself all the time. I would say, okay, to get this book done, all I need is 2,000 words a day. I've got 40 days. That's 80,000 words. No problem. And then about a week into it, I'd look at it and go, well, I'm a little behind. So now I got to do like 2,300 words a day. And then a week later, well, I guess I'm going to be cranking out about 3,000 words a day now. But tomorrow... I'll catch up on those words. I'll go, I'll do a double day tomorrow. And then at the end of the next day, I wouldn't, I would have just done what I did the day before because I was lying to myself. So when I told myself, I'll make it up tomorrow, I was lying to myself and I was letting myself off for lying to myself with no consequences. I I used to ask my wife if she would stand behind me and biff me in the head when I didn't do things. And she was happy to do that. But for the sake of our marriage, we decided not to go in that direction. So I decided on a couple of things. And one was to just really simplify my process. I used to set too many goals. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. And then when two of them would fall through, it'd be like, well, I've already blown off those two. It's easy to let the others slide another day or two or week or whatever. So I started simplifying by saying, I'm going to write 2000 words every day. Unless the earth opens up and swallows me, there is no excuse. On my birthday, I wrote 2000 words. On my wife's birthday, I wrote 2,000 words, but I did get up really early to to avoid any repercussions for that. If we have company over for dinner, I got to make sure I got my 2,000 words going in. Because since I stopped lying to myself and simplified my goals, now I, I, I can hold to those goals. I can, I can meet those goals. And what I found was writing, I average about 2,500 words a day that gets me to where I want to be. That gets my book production to where I want to be. And 
there we are. It was just as simple as that. It was just, it, it was like a mental adjustment. October 1st of last year, I said, I'm going to stop lying to myself. And I did. That's kind of an uncomfortable thing to say to yourself, by the way, to admit, oh yeah, I lied to myself. <laughs> well, that's that's not so fun. But uh, And since then, I, I have not, oh, I missed one day when I got my uh, vaccination and I was sick the next day and I could not crawl to my computer. But other than that, I don't, I don't, I haven't missed a day. So, all right. It's funny because uh, I know that I'm going to start lying to myself. So what I do is at the beginning, I say, oh, I'm going to have to average 3000 words. So I'm going to average 5000 words. <laughs> and then I'll, I, this should take me about 60 days. So I'm going to give myself 90 days. <laughs> you know, like I put the buffers in there. But uh, so speaking of this, like what's the average length of, uh, of the books that you write? The, uh, the the 14 book time travel series that I write, those average about 72,000 words. So they're quick. I can bang one of them out in less than 30 days. Um, the, the newer books that I'm writing, um, and I was listening uh, to the episode that you just had on uh, with Victoria uh, from Podium, where, and I don't remember if it was Lindsay or if it was Victoria, somebody was talked about that graphic that we saw about how many hours long an audio needs to be in order to get a certain percentage of buyers to be willing to invest a $14.95 credit in it. Uh, and Victoria told me, honestly, I really need your books up for Podium to be 100,000 words. And since then, I have upped my average account uh, count to a little. I, I average about one hundred and three to one hundred and five thousand on those, which at least gets me over ten hours, which is one of the benchmarks. And I know Lindsay's been going higher, but you, yours have been like one hundred and seventy-five, two hundred and thirty thousand something. Just like. for epic fantasy, I'm yeah. doing the bundles for the shorter stuff now. Is it's those Audible people on their credits, man? You gotta like tailor wow. everything to please them. <laughs> And that's what I've done with my shorter books since I asked Podium and they agreed uh, to take three of my 70,000 word books and bundle them together, which now all of a sudden you've got about 20 hours or so. And those books started selling much better in a bundle than they did because 70,000 words, they were only about six and a half hours. And I get it. If you've got an hour commute each way each day, or you're spending an hour on the treadmill or walking your dog or whatever you want that credit to get you as many days of that activity as you can. So I totally get it. Now, uh, do you think the techniques that you use uh, works for books of all lengths? Because I know that I would struggle to ensure a, a long, complex story flows without without contradiction if I didn't have some sort of a, of a roadmap for myself. Do you think that the complexity and length of a book is applicable with your uh, with your no revision and no outline I, stuff? I, I think it's more applicable to the person. Like for me, all that crap just stays in my head because I've forgotten everything like what day my wife's birthday is and things like that. And I instead remember the plot line of my books. Um, so, but I think that's a real personal thing, how, how much you're able to just hold in your head. Um, and I don't have very many superpowers as a writer, but I think the ability to hold like my five book series, that's almost 600,000 words among those five books. And I've got it all in here. Uh, and I, I seem to be able to hold the threads and the characters and, and all that in there. But I, I'm, I'm not telling people to write the way that I write. I'm telling people, I guess I would tell people you need to experiment a little bit maybe and be willing to try new things. That's my answer for anything in indie publishing is can you experiment a little bit? Um, and people ask me, well, why do you have your first book in your series at three ninety nine? And the reason is because I tried it perma free for three months. I tried it ninety nine cents for three months, and I tried it three ninety nine for three months. And three ninety nine is what led me to my best numbers overall in that series. So. I could go into the six figure author Facebook group or the 20 books to 50 K Facebook group and go, what should I do? Or I can experiment for myself. And now I know. And so for me, I think experimentation is generally better than just because we're also, we're unique. I almost modified unique there, which is like one of my pet peeves. You can't be so unique. You're either unique or you're not, but we're all unique. And, our situations are unique and our reader groups are unique. And even if we write in the same genre, what's true for me uh, may not be true for anybody else. So 
Um, those are always the questions that kill me in the authors group is when some, how many books did you have to write before you started making a full-time living? Because the answer can range anywhere from one to never, basically. So, um, so I guess, I guess that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> yeah, it's no problem. Good information. Um, so I've written stories with and without outlines. And in both cases, there have come times when I found myself heading in the direction of a better idea once I was deep into the writing process. Sometimes you can just change directions and go forward. Sometimes in order to change directions, you, you'd be better served by uh, making some changes earlier on in the story to foreshadow that stuff. So yes. what do you do when an idea needs some retroactive groundwork to flow properly? Yeah, I do exactly that. Um, like I said, I feel real fortunate in that I'm able to keep my whole story in, the head, in my head. So when one of those out-of-the-blue ideas that I did not see coming at all hits, and I think, oh, my gosh, that's so perfect. I'm going to go that way. But wait, if that's the case, he should have known something about that way back here. So I just do that. That's my one exception to my no revision rule is I will go back and drop uh, Easter eggs uh, and foreshadowing back into the earlier portions of the story. Um, but that's really the only time it's, it's if I need something to foreshadow uh, an event or if I need somebody to have met a character before or something like that. That's really the only time I ever go back and change anything. Um, and would my books maybe be better if I if I did a different way? I don't know. This is the only way I've been able to successfully, consistently complete books. So this was my experiment, and it's what ended up working for me. I'm glad that you like you do make this exception for that because a lot of people that I, I'll get emails from people who ask me like oh, how do I do this I don't want to do revisions and all that and they'll like I'm a pantser I write from beginning to end and, and then I'll be like yeah I can tell that you write from beginning to end because things are just <laughs> mysteriously occurring with no foreshadowing <laughs> whatsoever so I always it, I always uh, recommend that people go back and sort of comb through situations like that so it's good to know that uh, when things need to be inserted earlier well I guess it's easier when you can again hold it in, in, in your head I, get, I need that roadmap to lead my way back to where that change needs to be and, and i think most people who are smarter than me go and write like a, a a real quick half a paragraph summary of each chapter and keep that beside them and that's a great even if you're a pantser you can go back and kind of plot retroactively i'm not even smart enough to do that i rely on my ability to hold it all in my cranium so uh and yes it does lead me astray from time to time doing that that's one of the downsides to to my to my way of, of writing i suppose okay so my next question is um how does writing to market apply with what with your process and how you approach each new book or new series <sighs> i wince when i say this i do not right to market at all. Um, I have read Chris Fox's excellent book, Right to Market. I appreciate the thought process that goes into it. I think it's the smartest thing to do. I have just never done it. <laughs> so I have spoiled myself by basically just writing whatever I want to write and hoping it sells. And up until I released this book a month ago, it's worked. It's sold. And then a month ago, I released this book and everybody was like, I'll pass. Thanks. Don't need that one. Uh, so that actually I was thinking today as I was walking my dog, maybe I'll try writing to market once and see because I don't know if it'll work for me, but I, I, I do believe in experimenting. Uh, and so I think I'd like to experiment with it. I just, I, I don't know. We'll see. I know I've heard Lindsay say on a number of occasions that when she tries to write for to market, that that doesn't generally go very well for it. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have the same experience. Uh, so when I'm, when I do well is when my own, muse lines up with other people's interests um, and i know the venn diagram what's selling and what you're interested in and where it intersects that's what you should write it just doesn't work for me <laughs> so <laughs> yeah no i completely understand i've had the same thing happen um uh, and it's also by the way if you do decide to write for market make sure you're actually writing to market as opposed to writing to what you think the market is because i've made that mistake at least once too <laughs> 
That sounds uh, so much okay. like a mistake I would make right there, right yeah. into what I think the market is. Yeah, this is what the market yeah. is, right? Like, right? No, no, you picked all the wrong notes. Um, all right, so something that plotters can do, like we talk about plotting. Sometimes plotting is an entire arc of books, not just a single book. Yeah. And when you when you plan out your your book series far and off ahead, you can start planting Easter eggs and and uh, and foreshadowing things yeah. in the next book. Yeah. Uh, do you have a firm enough tra- idea of the trajectory of any given series to be able to do that, even though you're not, you know, sort of plotting in advance? I think so. I've got, I've got two techniques I use. Like for this portal fiction, I originally thought it was just going to be a trilogy, and then it started to sell really well. So it became five books. Now it's going to become six books until maybe it doesn't sell so well eventually. But when I thought of it as just a trilogy, I thought I, I had I could write a one sentence description for each book guy goes through a door finds a primitive people ends up leading them into a big battle and that was all i had for book one um and book two uh, a chosen one of the tribe is kidnapped and our hero has to go all the way across this strange world and try to bring her back and that's all i had and book three all questions are answered. How did that magic door get in this guy's basement uh, and, and wrap up all the loose ends? And that's all I had. But that was really enough that it did allow me to kind of foreshadow. Um, plus, there's the <laughs> there's this magic that happens for those of us that are total pantsers in that I won't even know why, but I'll just put something in. And then later that book, or even two books later, I'll think, oh my gosh, that's why that was in there. I didn't even know why I wrote it at the time, but now it'll fit so perfectly. It'll dovetail so perfectly with, with what I need. Like in this series, like a guy gave a, a gave my protagonist a, a, a necklace in book one. And I'll tell you the truth, I totally forgot about it until he needed a favor in book three and I could make that necklace completely central to his ability to, to get that favor, to earn that favor. Um, and it's, that's the, to me, that's the magic of being a pantser is when something that you didn't even realize you were doing all comes into fruition. And I know all the plotters are thinking, that's just wrong, dude. You're just wrong. Uh, but it's that's why I say we've all got to kind of find our own method, right? Yeah. Wait till you uh, something something will happen to you sometimes too, and it's always fun when it is. When you make a plot hole, and you're like, no, no, that wasn't a plot hole. That was a sequel hook. <laughs> Gosh, don't you love that? That's that's exactly what I did in the fifth book. Here was I created a big purposeful plot hole, and now I have to write the whole sixth book in the series to explain that that plot hole. But in my author, I always do an author's note at the back. I love doing author's notes, um, and for my audio books, I record my own. Uh, my own voice doing that um, because it's a kind of another way to reach out to, to the reader. Um, but in the author's note, I did go in and go, listen, I know that's a plot hole. I did it on purpose. Stick with me here. I got the sixth book coming out and then we'll explain it, which I'm hoping has saved me from a few one stars of what is wrong with this guy. Did he not realize he forgot to answer this question or whatever? So. Sorry, my thing is not telling me when people are commenting. So I'm like getting lost over here. Um, Okay, so one last question for me. But um, I know you're a pantser, you know, writer into the darker, but I need you to tie this back to outliners. (laughs) Um, What sort of thing, I mean, how do you think outliners can apply this method? Well, I, I mean, once you've got the, however you arrive at your words, whether you're a plotter or you're a, a, a pantser like me, the rest of it can certainly all apply. Like if you're a plotter, you really should have anticipated a lot of your problems going forward and kind of created your own space there. Um, and, and so to my way of thinking, you should be able to, at the end of the book, just about be ready to, to send it off uh, to your editor on the day you, you finish the book. Um, and it, I know that's not for everybody. Some people need that level of control of, I'm going to go over that book five more times before I send it off. And, and I respect that. Uh, um, but I guess I would ask people, maybe try it once try just sending it off uh one time to your editor uh i my my best writer friend 
used to do two passes through. And he asked me once, does that second pass really make the book better? And I told him the truth. No, it makes it a little different, but I don't think it makes it any better. And so he was able to save one whole editing pass uh, before he sent it off to the editor, which, which again, knocked out about two weeks of his time frame uh, to be able to, to get his books out more quickly. So, I, I mean, we all have the same goals, which is to write a tight, cohesive story that draws the reader in. And whether you do that by thinking of your, your plot in advance or waiting for it to magically materialize in your brain when you first put your fingers on the keyboard, I don't know that that matters. It's just what's your system from there. And I, I think anybody could benefit from start if, if you, I'm lucky, I'm a full-time writer, my kids are grown, I've got all the time in the world, so I know I'm lucky that way. But if you have the time, if you can start over your day by going back over the words you wrote the day before, uh, it gets you into the flow so well, and you do fix most of your problems by the time you get to the end of your book. You basically finish your first draft as a second draft. So, uh, and I can't really relate to plotters because I'm jealous of them. I'm envious. I so wish I could just sit down with a pad of paper and my imagination and lay the whole story out. And I, my brain is broken that way. I just, I have not. And by the way, one thing that I think really helps pantsers is reading uh, a lot of the good plotting books. You know, uh, take off your pants and the secret of story and uh, great books like that, because what that does is whether you're plotting or pantsing, it does help you get that necessary structure. Oh, I need to have these three acts and I need an inciting incident here. And I need uh, I, I need a long, dark night of the soul where our guy, where all is lost. And then I need the redemptive moment. And I don't know if I, I I'm going to tell you the truth. I was not a great writer when I started. Uh, many people may say I'm still not a great writer and that's OK, too. But I'm a much better writer than I was when I started. And a lot of that is just from reading a lot of craft books. And then uh, Matt Bird, who wrote uh, The Secret of Story, uh, at the end of it, he said, now that you've read my book, thank you for buying it. And go ahead and forget everything that I've told you in this book, because the important things to you, the things that are going to work for you are already lodged in your brain and your subconscious has hold of them. And I think that's true as we read all our craft books, that the things that we're going to really hold on to and work with will just kind of we learn it through osmosis kind of almost so. And I think that um, just going back to the, the plotter versus pantsers, I mean, most outliners when they're mature in their writing, they are, they're a mix between the two. Cause like I, I'm an outliner, but I'm probably smack dab in the middle now because my outlines are like less than a handwritten page, you know? And so, you know, I, I, I delve into the whole story while I'm actually writing. And that's pretty much a, a pantser's thing. I just like to know the, where I'm going in the beginning and then the end, and then everything else just fills in. I trust myself now. <laughs> basically. Yes. And isn't that a big part of it? That's it. Yeah. Just trusting yourself that you're going to tell a good story and it's going to yeah. be involving and it's going to hold people. And you are going to meet all those expectations. I hadn't thought of it before, but that's a great way to say it. You trust yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, and I did lie because I do have one more question and it's kind of goes along with the trust yourself. I mean, how as as a beginner writer when i first started writing my first book was my first creative writing project mm -hmm. and i would not i mean if i'd send it to my editor it would have cost me thousands of dollars so how does this apply to a brand new author because i know we have a bunch that listen to the podcast yeah um well there's there's nothing wrong <laughs> I mean, the problem is if you're a brand new writer, chances are really good. You've been a long time reader. And so the problem is initially is that disparity in that your eye, your brain is very good at detecting good writing because you've been reading all your life as a beginning writer. Uh, you're not able to create that. And so you can almost feel that disparity. And so my best advice to people is just to finish a lot of projects that rewriting a single project does not do you much good at all. Uh, like I say, I, I wrote my first book probably 40 times um, and it never got any better because I wasn't getting any better. Um, so if, if I was a new writer right now, I would, I would just start 
I would probably start writing short stories because that way I don't have to invest the same amount of time. And writing short stories makes you be a very good writer. I love to write short stories. I just can't sell them. So I, I give them away in my newsletter list about three or four times a year. I'll just get a wild hair and I'll write a short story and just send it out to my list to say thank you for being on my list. And, um, and that I'm going to say that's what gets me the, the best reaction. Well, of course, it's something free. So, uh, but I hear it, if you ever have doubts about, what do my readers think of me? And you just send them a free short story and then you get maybe 30 or 40 emails from people just saying, I just want to tell you how much I love that story. It touched my heart or it made me cry or it made me laugh or whatever. Those are the good days to be a writer. To me, those are the better days than, ooh, I had a $1,000 day or a $2,000 day. That feeling passes pretty quickly for me, but those letters just stay with me forever. So... But that money coming back to your bank in like two months, that's well, that pretty is, nice. That, my wife <laughs> likes that part of it, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, we just got one more, well, I guess one more question. Uh, uh, and this is on the subject of long-running series. Uh, something that stuck out to me in your bio is 14-book time travel series. I've written long, well, semi-long series. I've got probably a series with about 14 books in it, if you count all the side stuff. And I've written time travel. And I'm impressed that you've achieved a 14-book time travel series, particularly without outlining, because my time travel outlines aren't outlines, they're flowcharts. Like, I, I, I cannot keep track of them without serious, uh, you know, external reference. So how do you keep a series like that fresh and interesting? And how complex can you allow it to be while still not having the external stuff? Well, the, the easy answer is I cheated because <laughs> I cheated in advance because I knew I was going to run into that problem. So that 14 book series is actually 14 different standalone books all tied to the same concept. And every one of those books takes place in a different dimension basically. So there's no such thing as going back and killing your grandpa because you, you've got one dimension that you're dealing with at a time. Uh, so I, because I, I knew that was too complex for me uh, to try to do something like that. So I really simplified it. Then the trick is, so in that series, the idea is if you die in this small town with unfinished business on your soul, you'll wake up at an earlier point in your life and have a chance to set it right. And if you don't manage that and you die again, you wake up at that exact same starting point. And you could do that an infinite loop number of times until you finally wake up and smell the coffee. Um, so the trick for that has been how do you take that very basic crux of an idea and write it 20 different times? Um, I'm only 14 books of the way there. But for me, it's been, it's been keyed to that character's flaw. That's the first thing I start with in every book is what did this character, this protagonist mess up that causes him to be recycled? Because 99% of the people in this small town live their nice, good life and they die and they go on to whatever's next. It's only the tiny percentage of people who are recycled and have to. Like book two is about a, a serial killer who actually kills my favorite character in the whole series in the first book. He killed my favorite character. Um, and I really hated him for that, but he did it. And then I, I, I wrote the second book about him and found his own redemption there. So for me I, to write a, a normal time travel with where things can really go wrong. I don't think I could have done that, I guess is my answer. So because those are the kind of stories I wrote, I wanted to write, I came up with a cheat code basically that let me do it. So, well, it's been really great having you on. Um, I, I'm positive our listeners will find value in what you've shared. And I'm very excited to just tweak things and see how I can simplify my process because that last read through, I mean, I'm in that right now for my current novel. It's, it's done now. I'm just doing the last read through and I'm like, I'm just changing a few words here and there, you know, and it's only going to take me a day, but you know, I could That's have that day. off to my editor. So yeah. anyway, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can people find you online and learn more about you? All of that. Sure. I, my website is sean-inman.com because I let sean expire once and some squatter came and squatted on it. 
dang it. So Sean-Inman.com is my website and I'm super active on Facebook. If you just search Sean Inman writer on Facebook, I'm on there all the time. I could, I could just about be rid of social media if I didn't have to interact on Facebook all the time, but I love it. I love talking to my readers on there. That's the best part of being a writer to me. So, yeah. And like I said, you participate in our, um, uh, six beer authors group, which people can join (laughs) come come and answer the question correctly. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for your participation in that group, by the way. No, I, I love that because when I first got started, there were a few writers who were much further along the path than me when I only had one book and they were so this was back in the keyboard stays uh, and they would reach out to me and send me messages and, and they really tried to help me and I knew they didn't need any help from me but I just promised myself when I get to the point where I am where they are I'm going to do the same thing I'm going to make sure I try to reach a hand back and help people along a little bit because that's the way it should be I think yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we do appreciate it. Um, well, that's, By the way, I love good. the Facebook. I really love the Facebook. Group. Oh, good. It, it tends to attract a, a better level of questions than some of the uh, unnamed groups. <laughs> I'm an admin in the 20 books to 50 K group. So I'm not talking about that one. I think that's a good group too. So. <laughs> that's a fast moving group. <laughs> it sure is. Awesome. Okay. Well, everyone, thank you for listening. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. And thank you again, Sean, for joining us. And we'll talk to everyone later. Bye. Bye, everyone. So long, everybody.